Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Wednesday Q&A. I'm Eric Griffin, President of ITM Trading. With me, I have Lynette Zhang, our Chief Market Analyst. For those of you who don't know or are tuning in for the first time, we take your questions submitted to us via email to questions at itmtrading.com. We put them up on the screen in front of us, ask them live so you get a real, true, organic response. <clears throat> John Yu asks, Okay. If you own stocks and the brokerage holds the certificates, can the brokerage seize your stock as a part of the bail-in or can they only bail in uninvested funds in the account? Well, first of all, the brokerage part of the business is not really subject to bail-ins, but the problem is if you hold the certificates in street name, so that's what you have to look for, am I holding this in street name, then those stock shares have been most likely hypothecated, in other words, uh, leased out by a whole bunch of different brokerages. And so that's really more the danger than the bail-in. Uh, brokerage houses don't have the right to bail-in. The bank does. Now, in 2008, a lot, a lot actually before, a lot of them were merged together. That's what they had um, divided back in 33 after that crash, that banks that hold deposits and banks that take risks, so the brokerage houses could not be together. But, you know, I mean, why, why bother to do that? So now, yeah, I mean, Bank of America owns uh, Merrill Lynch. Right. Right. Do we still have that Yale Law study that you found where it shows <clears throat> what you were talking about oh, about you custody? being the beneficial owner? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Because that was the that uh, you used to point out all the time that that was the kind of the most <clears throat> well, vulnerable thing about stocks. Right? Was exactly. that you're the beneficial owner over many under many other beneficial owners that and so and not the legal <clears throat> owner. Right. right. So yeah, and uh, Edgar, if you remind me, I'll I'll pull up that graph, that flow chart, and you can see it for yourself. And so what? We'll put it in the link in the description, and it'll go to the blog. Yes. Okay. So just make sure you have the Yale Law pictogram. Right, and I'll know what you're talking about, and I'll I'll On pull that. I'll pull that. <clears throat> so that that's really the that's what you that's one of the risks that you run when the, the whole system implodes. I mean, as long as the whole system doesn't implode, then they're not going to want you to pull that wealth out of there because they make a lot of money by making money off of your equity in your account. But it's not really subject to bail in, in, the, in the way that the banks are. All right, so Chris G. asks, how would we make income and investments during hyperinflation? Hyperinflation, Gold is great for accumulating assets, but we still need income. Yeah, well, that can be a challenge during hyperinflation for a lot of people. But if you structure your portfolio property properly, I mean, this is why one of the big things that we look at is what your current cost of living is. Because then what you would do is convert part of your uh, portfolio, the portfolio that you earmarked for, uh, for retaining and sustaining your standard of living, you would simply um, convert that into the current fiat at the time that you needed it. Because anything you'd hold in that fiat is losing value so rapidly during 
hyperinflation. And frankly, the other part of that is uh, when we get to that level, we're probably going to get real local and therefore barterable. And therefore, people are not going to want the fiat as much as they are going to want the silver and, in some cases, the gold. I mean, you can look at Venezuela for that. When they're all lo- when all confidence is lost in the currency, then they want real goods and services. So it's not the it's not the fiat income that you're talking about in the strategy that we use here. It, we cover your need for that income. And since it's primarily in barterable gold and silver, then it'll keep pace with the inflation. So you can retain your standard of living in that way. That's how you're going to generate the income. Nothing else will keep up with it. So basically, using a portion of your gold and silver, selling it off, and using that over time... To, to get the fiat that you need to have the income to survive. Well, yes, <clears throat> or, or you'll be doing it directly. I mean, the difference between strawberries and silver, there are a few differences. Number one, I mean, silver is universally accepted and it does not have a shelf life. So that is a big portion of it. But, you know, everybody's different. I know that I planned for 10 years for my daughters and myself. And it's based upon what we're spending right now. So, and then, and that's what you do. You lay it in, you need to make sure you can pay your property taxes, if you've got medical issues, if you've got the need for educational fees, you know, things like that. These are the things that you talk about. That's why we customize the strategy because everybody's circumstance is gonna be different. But uh, so you would either convert it into fiat if that's the way you needed to pay your property taxes, for example, or you'll use it directly to purchase your goods and services. Because you go to a grocery store, everybody's got scales and everybody's attached to the Internet. So it really would not be a big challenge to say, okay, it's this much in dollars like they do in, in, you know, Venezuela. It's this much of your paying with fiat if they even want to take it, but legally they have to take it where it's this much in gold or silver. So that that's the way I think it's going to look because that's what we've seen other countries do. All right, so Craig S. asks, why are people so upset that gold and silver spot is being suppressed? I don't know. You would, you would think we would want the market to suppress it as long as possible up to the very last breaking point. This allows us to get the most bang for our buck. You got it. But, you know, we've been trained to look at Wall Street and think that Wall Street is telling us, well, this is how much something is worth. Right. But I, I, it, it's still hard for me to believe that people actually believe the garbage that comes out of Wall Street anymore because it should, it's proven over and over again that it's not real. It's fiction. So I agree with you, Craig, 100%. In fact, Eric can verify this. Did I not buy more gold and silver this morning? Yep. So I think, Craig, uh, that to answer that a different way, too, there's a lot of people, I mean, myself and Lynette included, that have been buying gold and silver forever, long time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people want it to go up in value now, right? Because it makes them feel good. Yeah, well, it makes them feel good, and it's a return. It's an ROI, right? People want ROI. We're trained to want ROI. Um, but, you know, gold and silver... 
I was talking to a friend yesterday, and he said, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm really concerned about what's going on. And I said, well, do you have any gold and silver? And he said, I don't. And I said, well, you probably should get some. <laughs> I mean, you know me. I can get it for you. <clears throat> and he said, yeah, maybe I should. And I said, well, you buy it as an insurance policy. You buy it now. And I said, I don't want you to look at the price. I don't want you to think about the value of it. I want you to buy it. I want you to stick it in a vault or a safe or hide it someplace and stick it there and only ever use it if you need to use it. If, you, if something happens and you need that money, then you go to it. And then if you don't, you keep it for your kids and you transition it to them. And if they need to use it, then they use it, right? Don't even think of it as... Think of it as money insurance, not, not as ROI. a trade. Right, right. Not, as not, as an, a trade. not as an ROI. Um, you know, now, granted, if, if when what happens that you know is coming happens, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for ROI there for sure. Oh, exactly. Um, but, and that's why you know, and it goes, buying it suppressed is good because exactly. you're getting it so undervalued. But that's also why people are upset about it, Craig, because, you know, with it being suppressed, if you bought silver at... Nineteen dollars in two thousand and eleven, or if you even bought it at forty nine, you're down, right? And so you're you're kind of wishing it was higher. So that's yeah. why it, that's why people feel that way about it. Yeah, and I, you know, I've noticed too. You know, people can take forever to make a decision, and then when they make that decision, then they want things to just happen the way they want it to happen. Mm -hmm. But life doesn't work like that. When you've lived a long enough time, you go all in due time, just not necessarily mine. Right. Right? Right. And we both and we both have gold that we bought when it was seven hundred dollars an ounce. We have it at when we twelve hundred and four hundred and thirty five hundred, two thousand. Right. Remember I've been here Since almost 02. twenty yeah, June twenty eighth of two thousand and two. <clears throat> Yeah, you were probably buying it at four hundred dollars. Yeah, I was four thirty four thirty eight. Yeah. So, but also at two thousand an ounce. Totally, I don't care. So, all right, Nikki A asks, "Do you think that after the reset, buying gold and silver will be difficult?" No, um, I don't even. Why? Why would it be difficult after the reset? Uh, and now it may be difficult depending upon the kind of gold you have. I don't think silver is really that much of an issue. Uh, but that's because if they were to do an overt conf confiscation and you had bullion gold, <laughs> then you would have some limitations. Right. But if it's the collectible gold, I've never known a time for that to be difficult to sell anyway. What about, though, because I was thinking about this when I put it on the screen here. What about, because during the hyperinflationary period, right, I think it's going to be really hard to get because everybody's going to want it. Like demand well, will go. But it says after <clears throat> the reset. So after the reset. Right. So then it's. Before so in the lead up, hard, no, much harder to get. In yes. Your opinion. Well, okay. So right now we are in the before the reset. And right, but more not the hyperinflationary phase. Well, you know, look, I, I could be wrong about this. So I'm going to tell you, this is not the technicals that are telling me this. It's just my gut. But I do think we're in the early stages of the hyperinflation. We get another shock. 
How difficult was it to get gold and silver in March of 2020 and April of 2020? Well, you could get it. You just had to wait a long time to, to actually receive it. You could buy it, <clears throat> but you had to wait a long time to get it. Are and all, we're in some circumstance with that right now, too. Well, I was going to say, because I know the premium that I paid on what I bought this morning. And I thought, okay, because it's de- it's supply and demand driven. Mm-hmm. So my next question is, do you have all of the options open to you? To, so that that's what makes it, it's already getting challenging to mm-hmm. buy, as you're saying, and the premiums are going up, et cetera. But... Um, so I think we're already in the early phases of the hyperinflation. I mean, because when they raise the interest rates, which they have to do to retain their credibility, since this is a con game, then that is going to push us into a recession. We've already gotten recession signals. I don't care if they manipulate it different. We got it. And the only way to fight deflation or a recession is with inflation. But there's so much new money that's sloshing around out there, which is part of what's fueling what we're dealing with now, that, you know, I think there's going to be a pivot. And I think what we saw in 2020 is likely to be chump change, which, which what they did in 2020, all the money printing. Okay. Right. Which made what they did in 2008, which was shock and awe then, yeah, right, right <clears throat> look like chump change. Mm-hmm. So every time they do it, it's already been pushing on a string because they've been doing it for so long. But when we hit that next recession, recession and they do a pivot, they're going to have to do a lot more than they've already done. It's going to send us ultimately into that hyperinflation because confidence too you know, it's a con game that requires confidence. And if people anticipate and they, they de-anchor those inflation expectations, then they make different choices. That That is absolutely proof positive that the central bankers have lost the confidence of the public. And that's the only thing that's holding any value in this currency at this point anyway. So... Yeah. Is it going to be hard after the reset buying gold and silver? No, but it's already difficult on some levels right now into the reset. Yeah, I think it's going to be probably not quite impossible, but the premiums are going to be ridiculous. I think it'll look even more ridiculous than it did back in 1989 when the collectible coins hit their high it was what eighty one or eighty two when the spot market hit that high. Mm-hmm. Eighty two. Uh, yep, eighty two. <clears throat> so I think it's going to be. Yeah, I think this is the time to buy it. It was nineteen eighty, wasn't it? Was it eighty eighty one? I have to look on the graphs again. Nineteen eighty, middle of nineteen eighty, hit eight twenty five. Eight twenty five intraday, yeah. That was the high. I have to look on it. Yeah. But it might it might also be time for me because I was I was showing people why I. One of the reasons why I do the collectibles and where they were. But, you know, I didn't put a spot chart in there. So it might be time for me to do that, too. Just so that everybody can have a comparison between, you know, the between them all. All right. So Melody K asks, is there a formula to know how much gold or silver is needed to maintain a standard of living for 10 years? It's funny. You didn't see these questions, but you kind of talked about that earlier in the in the uh, questions. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's just based upon historic norms. So I can't guarantee anything, obviously, because this time it could behave a little different. But yes, there is a formula to determine how much silver and what kind and how much gold and what kind, because there's all different kinds and it really is based upon your goals. And that's, you know, that's what I say. You've got to first establish your goals. Then you talk to one of our consultants. And even if you don't know what those goals are, because a lot of times people don't really, they're not really clear on what that looks like, but we have questions to ask you. And then we've got it all set up in a spreadsheet with the formulas. And from that, they can determine how much gold and how much silver and what kind you need. Um, because yes, I'm, I'm doing it for 10 years because I don't think this is going to be a, a real fast transition. Since, especially since this is global. Kitty Kitty Meow asks, if gold isn't going up in price, how is it a hedge against inflation? Well, Kitty Kitty Meow, <laughs> anything can happen on the short term, especially when you control all of the uh, markets and they're just paper markets. But you, you step back and you look a little further and you can see. So what we know is that 6,000 years ago was an ounce of gold to buy a suit of armor. In early 1900s, it was a $20 one ounce of gold, $20 gold coin to buy a really nice men's suit. And today, at the price level that it is, could you buy a nice man's suit for 2,000 bucks? Mm -hmm. So it does it. Uh, short term, they can manipulate anything longer term than they can't. So that is how it is a hedge against inflation because it's good money, it's savings based, it takes time, energy <clears throat> to pull it out of the ground and it's used across the entire spectrum of the global economy, every area. So there's always the broadest base of buyer and the broadest base of functionality, that's how. And then ultimately, when they have to reset the currency because all confidence is lost, they do it against gold, those overnight resets, they do it against gold. And, and, even, and even like on a day-to-day on a -day basis, one thing that's hard for people to realize, but, but it's the genius of what they put together, evil genius, but still the genius of it. Because if they can keep inflation at a low level, and that's why if they can keep it at a low level, they get what they want, but you don't complain. You don't ask for higher wages. And so both Paul Volcker and Alan Greenspan defined price stability, not as the prices staying the same, but that they go up slowly enough that you don't consider them when you're going in to get a job. It's the wage inflation. That's the price stability that the central bankers are concerned with. Because when they set up this whole system to begin with, there were many points to it, but two key points for governments, they wanted to be able to tax you without going to legislation so you didn't know and you couldn't complain. And for corporations, they wanted to pay their workers less. But hey, if you're used to getting 20 bucks, you're not gonna accept 10. So if they can make that $20 bill spend like 10, then you accept it 
and you don't ask for more money, even though, I mean, stop and think about it. In, in 1971, the average wage was 9,500 bucks and a family of four could live with one wage earner. Today, it's 58,000 or something like that, and it takes two wage earners, your paycheck to paycheck, and they stimulated everything under 150. So why aren't we getting paid commensurate with the level of inflation? Because we're not asking for it. But now, because, it's, because inflation has heated up so much that people are paying attention and noticing it, now they're asking for an increase in wages. And because the market's so tight for employees, they're getting it. But even so, it does not keep pace. It's not enough. Correct. <laughs> and so now we're in a wage price spiral, and this is when confidence gets lost. So we're in, a, we're in a really critical period right now. And I know personally, I'm, I'm rushing to get finished with everything that I need. You know, the food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. Those, the, the few little areas that I don't have covered yet, I'm rushing. I'm rushing. I'm nervous. All right, well... That's it for today. Okay. Well, stay tuned tomorrow because I'm going to be talking about the IMF's map of stagflation. I'm telling you, you can't make this stuff up, but uh, you definitely want to tune into that one. And the other, the other thing, actually, what I'm really excited about is, is taking a vacation. <laughs> but I'm going to Maui with my family and I will be available. We are going to have just a very, very, very small group of people at the Grand Wailea on Saturday, June 11th. We're going to be talking about a lot of things, so I'll keep you up to date with where we are, but I'm going to be talking about things that I cannot talk about on air, and I'm really looking forward to that because I don't like it when I can't say everything that I think. But, uh, and we are, we're keeping it to a very small group of people. So there's going to be a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction. But make sure that you watch yesterday's video on the April 2022 Bank of International Settlements Report on Inflation. It's so interesting because all of these powers that be, the World Bank, the Bank for International, the IMF, they're really all coming out and they really are rigging alarm bells. They are really ringing alarm bells. And so for them to, to ring these as loudly as they're ringing it might be one, since I read all this stuff, might be one of the reasons why I'm feeling super urgent. That's what I was going to say. That's probably why you're rushing. I, yeah, because I'm, I'm, if, if, if they have this level of concern and they're talking about the things that could push us over the precipice that... We can't, that they know that will overwhelm their abilities. Um, well, that makes me a little nervous. I, I got to say, it makes me a little nervous. But if you haven't, you can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any of the major uh, podcast platforms. And if you would leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, we'd really appreciate that. And if you haven't yet, start your gold and silver strategy. And if you have started it, but you haven't finished it, 
get it done. Get it done. So there's a Calendly link below. You can set up time to talk to one of our consultants, or you can give us a call if you can't, if they don't have the time available that you want. But it, this is not the time to procrastinate. This is not the time to be sitting on the sidelines and saying, well, maybe. No, it's over, and it should be really, it should be obvious. It's obvious to me. You know, it's definitely obvious. But if you like this, please give us a thumbs up. Make sure you uh, leave us a comment and share, share, share. Because without any doubt in my mind, it is totally time to get your assets covered. Here at ITM, we do it with gold and silver as the foundation because that's what enables you to do everything else. Food. Water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. And if you want to know more about that, go to our YouTube channel on Beyond Gold and Silver, where we have a lot of videos. Our goal is to build a, li a really comprehensive library so that wherever you are economically or in your learning curve on all of the rest of the mantra pieces, we want to make sure that you're fully prepared. So until right. next time, please be safe out there. Bye-bye.